Wonder how that woman came up with her cool idea and turned it into a business? Listen in to find out how. Welcome to Women Inspired. I'm your host, Linda Ugalo, and on this show, I interview artists, healers, changemakers, and entrepreneurs about what fires them up, how they put their dreams into action, and how you can too. And if you've ever had to give a talk or write a book and you thought, oh, I wish there was someone who could do it for me, well, there is. And I have as my guest today, Rebecca Braun. Hello. Thanks Hello. for having me here. Yes, it's great. So you are a ghostwriter, meaning you write people's books and yes. people's speeches. I do. Tell yep. me about that. Well, I've been doing that uh, since about 2004 at my company, Braun Inc., and it's an awful lot of fun. I have been able to write for some terrific, mostly business people and mostly business speeches, remarks, blogs, books, uh, and probably my favorite part of the writing is the books. I really like getting the entirety of somebody's story, their actions and their decisions, their personal and professional life into a compact uh, narrative form. So that's what I've been doing for a while. So it, it didn't even occur to me when, you know, I would buy books in the bookstore, I'd see them around that maybe many of them were written by ghostwriters. How many, is that common for business um, professionals to get a ghostwriter? It is fairly common, actually, yes. Uh, I don't know exactly how many do this or what percentage, but it's pretty common, and you can usually see in the acknowledgments section that they often thank uh, their ghostwriter or their co-conspirator or their partner in crime or what have you, so you often see that. Sometimes you do see people who actually put the author is the business person herself or himself, but they put with such and such. Mm -hmm. So that's right on the cover. You can see that. Mm -hmm. um, and then there's also a continuum. You know, a ghostwriter is sometimes fully writing the text um, with that author's voice. That, um, but uh, there is a continuum. You may have a uh, co-writer uh, type of ghostwriter. Um, you may have a editor, an editor type of ghostwriter. So there's a continuum. But yes, it is quite common. What, what is an editor type of ghostwriter? Well, I mean, so... Um, I'm asking a, because I'm in the writing process <laughs> right now of a book. <laughs> oh, good, good. I want to hear about it. <laughs> we should talk about that. Um, so, uh, you know, like I said, ghostwriting is a continuum. And you may start out with the intention, author and ghostwriter, of having the ghostwriter really research the facts, do the interviewing, do the writing, um, and being a, a full-out ghostwriter. But sometimes it turns into something where the author themselves wants to do much more of the writing. They turn out to just want to do much more of the writing. So then the ghostwriter becomes more of a development editor, a content editor, and a line editor. Those are different levels and types of and stages of editing. Mm -hmm. So it takes on a variety of forms, and you need to be flexible to figure out what your client best wants. They may think they want a ghostwriter, but it may turn into either a co-writer or more of an editing type relationship. We deal with all of those. So somebody could say, well, I, I want to, like, these are my ideas, I want to get them down, but then can you do something with them so it sounds better? Is that what um, an editor might I do? I sure hope so. I hope the clients <laughs> would say that we do. Um, so yes, I mean, what we try to do is capture that author's or business person's authentic voice and take their business jargon, which they are often uh, guilty of using, a lot of business jargon, and um, simplifying it uh, and giving it some resonance, some emotive power, 
some power through the series of actions that they took and some messaging. And we try to help them do that while retaining the absolute authentic uh, voice. And oftentimes editors will try to pull out a, a bad editor. They're mostly good editors, but I have seen and experienced editors trying to pull out that authentic voice. Um, and that's a trick, is that the ghostwriter oftentimes with a separate editor, and oftentimes it may be a marketing department, and they're terrific usually, but they have one type of message they're trying to convey. Um, so we work closely with them. But yes, we try to simplify and condense and so how, how do you capture someone's authentic voice? I mean, that I would think would be really challenging, but I know you love what you do, so it must mm -hmm. not feel like a so much of a challenge, but how do you go about that? So um, it is part inspiration and part perspiration, I would say. Um, the inspiration part or the skill part is that I just love doing this. I was a linguistics major in college, and then I went and got my MBA and went into business. So I know the the subject matter, but I love and think and hope I have some skill in capturing somebody's lexicon, their words, the rhythm, the tone, and being true to that for that person. Um, so I love doing that. The part that is um, perspiration is that you can never capture, I mean, who are we kidding? You can't capture somebody's voice in a series of 5, 10, 25 interviews when they've been doing something. I mean, they've been themselves for however many years, and they've been doing something for so many years. So it is very much a drafting process. There is no magic. It is drafting, drafting, drafting. So it goes drafting. back and forth. Yeah. And Usually they, they're, they, they despise the first draft. It's the bane mm. of my existence. Mm. Um, business executives are often, uh, it turns out, sort of impatient people. <laughs> <laughs> So they do not like that first draft. It doesn't have their voice. I'm, I can't work miracles. And so um, there is that. But yes, we draft and they come back. And after, by the time we get to the third or fourth draft, uh, they like it more. And then by the time we get to the fifth or sixth or seventh draft, they're bored out of their minds with it again. So there's sort of an arc there. Yeah, because they don't have the same uh, capacity to stick with the That's process right. the way that you That's do. Right. They, it, they have businesses to run. Mm -hmm. Which is why they hired you in the first <laughs> Which place. Which is why they hired me. So, yes. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense because their expertise is not in the writing, it's in doing what they do. That's right. But they still want to get the, their story out. And that's, that's a great point. What I would say the skill that I and really we at Braun Inc. bring to the table is most business people I would rank on a ubiquitous 10-point scale, I would rank as probably roughly a three or four on their writing skills and their writing desire. They didn't go into business to be writers and their skills show it. So um, whereas we are probably, I would say, um, you know, we're not um, Nobel Prize winning writers. We're probably a seven or eight out of 10. Um, and most writers are not, they're sort of antithetical to business people and they don't have a lot of content knowledge about business so I'd give them sort of a three or four on their knowledge about and skills with business but we're probably a seven or eight that's the type of writers we try to hire and that's how we try to run our business so we bring together sort of the seven and eight you know pretty good quite good writing skills quite good business knowledge and skills and put them together and I always call it sort of the Reese's peanut butter cup strategy which is that we put peanut butter and chocolate together for something uh, unlikely but better Oh, that sounds great. And, and in truth, we don't need a business book to be a Nobel Prize winner. We want business books to be helping us solve problems or fill the needs that we have to understand more about how to do what we do better. 
I think that's right. Yeah. I mean, the that's a we want go, it to be entertaining. Yes. We want it to be informative, and we want it to be logical that we can follow along. That's right. And we want it to be read. <laughs> yeah, we want. Yes, you we want do it want to. it to be read. We there's a there's something in between Nobel Prize winner and um, and not. Uh, but um, we do want it to be read. And so the question is, why are you doing this book? Who do you want to read it? How many people do you want to read it? And I think if you have realistic expectations, many business people want their colleagues, their coworkers, their customers, their clients, what have you, to read their book or you know frankly, their blog or their or hear their speech, but let's talk books for a moment. So they, um, so that is really, you have to have, I think, reasonable expectations about what you want. Um, many of our clients print uh, 300 or 500 copies of their book, and they often get reprints, um, and reprint after reprint after reprint, but it's important to be reasonable. Um, and then some will print many more, but we need to be reasonable about, you know, how many people want to uh, read it. What do you wish that business execs or who the people come to you to help write their book, what do you wish they knew? That's a great question. Um, I wish they knew probably that it is a process um, uh, and it is absolutely worthwhile. So our clients, after a book is done, have always said that was hard but very well worth it. Um, it's the hard part. Uh, I think that they believe and hope that a ghostwriter will make it easy. Mm. A ghostwriter will make it easier, um, but not easy. And mm -hmm. so sticking with it and understanding that I think these books are incredibly valuable. If you tell them authentically, you're not doing content marketing and shtick and um, you know, a boring how-tos, but you're truly telling your story. And I think what's worth it, I think the end game is that I think knowing your meaning and purpose in business is increasingly important as we try to improve capitalism, frankly, and knowing your legacy. I think um, getting that down on paper in book form is really important. I think we've had too many people who are very smart in business, but they're not wise. And I think by telling your story and going through that process, there's something called narrative therapy. Um, and far be it for a business exec to talk about therapy. <laughs> but I do think that um, going through that process of what's your message, what's your legacy, what's the meaning and purpose of what you did, told through action and decisions, is powerful. Yes, because it brings a, a deeper meaning to their lives as well. It does, uh, yes. A, a recognition of what they've accomplished and and the implications and the ramifications and yeah so yeah. you're taking it to that one the personal level i'm yeah. way up here at you know conscious capitalism and everything yes, else but yes, on the personal but it's level but it's it is. because when you can i think when you contact that in yourself it becomes more universal for other people that's right no i think that's true and we know we know that stories narratives tribal tales these are the best way to transmit values to transmit culture and I firmly believe that we have got to have improved capitalism. Whatever word you want to use for that, we have to have it improved. What is and that that's going to happen. What does that mean to you? To me, that means moving beyond shareholder value theory and not throwing that out the window, but moving beyond shareholder value theory. So I know that's a buzzword, but that is basically saying 
that shareholders are essentially the only and the mo the only important the only stakeholder in a corporation it is built for them and instead and that caused many excesses i believe that were problematic and instead moving to a different and better form of capitalism that takes into account the many stakeholders whether that's employees customers community environment we keep profits in there i'm a huge advocate <laughs> of profits, I'm simply an advocate. And so telling these stories that move us from smart to wise, that move us to purpose and legacy, and telling them individually and transmitting those, because that's the best way to change cultures, I think is vital. And that's why we're trying to build a whole branded line of executive biographies and memoirs. But they have to be authentic. I'm, I personally am not a fan of how-to books. Just how, You should do it this way, because I did it this way. I'm a fan of stopping short of that but having a multitude of case studies of individuals who have led businesses um, and they just tell their story of their successes and failures. Mm -hmm. So you mentioned memoir. Mm -hmm. how, does, how do you see memoir fitting into um, a business executive's legacy or like when does one consider writing a memoir? <laughs> Great question. <laughs> you want to write one now? <laughs> um, I think you can do it any time. I think the best time, I'll, I'll, I'm going to take it from my standpoint, I think the best time for a writer to truly get the authentic story um, is once you've retired or um, stopped working at whatever business. In particular, if you want to talk about one business experience, a memoir is different than an autobiography. An autobiography goes through the whole span of your life. A memoir can slice out different portions. So we're talking memoirs. So just not be in the business you're talking about anymore because you're going to be more honest and more reflective if you're not in that business. That said, certainly you can write your memoir at any time. You have, um, if you have an interesting context, an interesting background, an interesting geography, an interesting set of actions, they don't have to be unique. Okay, unique, but just interesting or different, then you should write your memoir. Um, and if you have an interesting set of characters you've interacted with or what have you, these are all resonant. They resonate with an audience that just wants to hear about what other business people did. That's cool. So do you have um, a recommended list of biographies? Like, oh, do you God. have your favorites? I know people do ask that, and I, I do have some favorites. That said, um, I don't read quite as many as people might think. I do read them, but not quite as many because I'm so busy writing them. <laughs> um, but uh, I would say that my favorite, so you know, takeaway favorite um, is uh, James Watson. This is a science memoir, um, which is different than business, but I just loved it. It really impacted me. James Watson, Double Helix, which is the um, discovery of the structure of DNA. And I loved it. It is so action-packed, so um, just uh, a scientific observation of what he did, but with rye wit, and it's short. So that's what I like, because I do, I, we definitely know that people, their attention is extremely divided. Um, so I love that. But then there are other ones. I mean, I really like Howard Schultz, the CEO of Starbucks. Mm -hmm. I really liked his story Onward, and mm -hmm. he has a new, a new one out, too. But I loved that he took a commodity product that was sold in gas stations, you know, sort of the mud type coffee, and turned it into really a lifestyle in this, this third place that Starbucks 
uh, does, I think, represent. Mm -hmm. I liked Anita Roddick from The Body Shop. She was really ahead of her time on her views on women in the world, women in business. I thought it was terrific. Catherine Graham, uh, My Personal History, is the name of her book. Um, and that's her story of being the first uh, ever CEO of a Fortune 5, female CEO of a Fortune 500 company. She ran the Washington Post. Um, so there's more. I mean, I can, I can go yeah. on, but those are some of them. Uh, that I, I really like. Richard Branson is good. I mean, it's a good adventure, um, adventures in entrepreneurship. And I think that's good and helpful to see how to be an adventurous entrepreneur. Sam Walton, I like. Um, he, uh, from Walmart, mm -hmm. um, he really takes, uh, he just tells a straightforward story of, seemingly straightforward story of just trying to do better than the competitors. I mean, just go and see what your competitors are doing and um, tried to do it better. Mm -hmm. And he just sort of knocked out that uh, philosophy time after time after time. Yeah, cool. So how, how does one go about crafting and using and sharing the bi biography? Uh-huh. Um, let's see. So if you want to do this on your own without a ghostwriter, because it is expensive to use a ghostwriter. Um, so if you have uh, not much money, but you do have time, um, then I think uh, a great way is just to sit down, uh, button seat, and start writing. And you have to, you have to just get that first draft out. Um, I, there are so many quotes by writers, by people who write for a living, about that first draft, about how crummy it is, because you're just trying to get your thoughts out there. So you've got to do that. And then you've got to get friends, family, critics, colleagues, whoever, to help you do additional drafts by editing and giving you feedback. And you have to be open to real and honest feedback and also know what you're not willing to, um, to give up on. Because everybody has an, you know, there's nobody who universally likes a book, right? Right, so, so everyone you ask is gonna have their own opinion. Yes, and you have to know. But, mm -hmm. um, and then, you know, how many hours does it take? I don't know, it's a lot um, to write. I mean, writing a book, it's, mm -hmm. it's not easy. It's like running a marathon, you know, yeah. doing any of this stuff is not easy. But, it's, I think it's worthwhile to get yeah. your thoughts out. Yeah. I've been on a schedule. Uh, I write with a group of people every morning from 6 to 7.30. Oh, wow. A.M. And five days a week. And it's been fantastic. With a group of people? It, yeah. We go on Zoom, turn it on mute, and we just go to work. And then we, then we share our, if we've been writing, we'll share how many words we've written. And wow. it doesn't matter if they're good or not. They're just words on the Page. That's terrific. And if you're just editing, then you just say you're editing. Yeah. Yep. And I, it makes me so happy to do that. When I work on my book just on my own time, it's not as much fun. And it's yeah. not like we're interacting. Oh, we might take a break and talk. But yeah, it's... And, and you the don't thing get is, distracted by having No, other... it's very hmm. focusing because it's conditioned space. Everybody mm -hmm. is at work. And you don't set a goal or anything for how many words per day no, or per session? No, or... I tried that, like have 300 words a day, because 300 words does add up. Right. And, and rather than, at first it was like, oh, I need a weekend, or I need a right. week, or, or like, but that's not how my life is. Right. So this suits me well, and I don't have too much on my calendar at 6 a.m. No. No, isn't that? It's a beautiful thing. The morning writing, mm -hmm. I find that by far to be the best time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, but so I, I think to finish out, you know, how would you write your, now producing it is, is a whole separate uh, can of worms, right. but publishing it, producing it. But writing it um, is set aside that time. Uh, don't be a perfectionist and prepare to uh, draft. Um, and that's sort of 
Yeah. How to do it. And what do you think people get wrong in terms of like sharing it and like publicizing their book? What are, is that, because I hear that that can be as much as the book writing itself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, let's see. I think a few things. I think it's the Wild West out there in the publishing market. So uh, in terms of there's just so many, because you can self-publish, you can hybrid publish, which is in between self-publishing and some sort of, there are vanity presses, which are no longer considered really vanity presses. They used to be called vanity presses. When you had lots of big publishing houses, uh, anybody who couldn't get a book published with them would go to a vanity press. Now that's just called self-publishing, right? Uh, but in any case, so it's the Wild West. So I think um, no matter how you do this, you are the best person by far to sell your book. So you have to want to sell your book. And you can do it in a variety of ways, but you have to put in the time. Just like you had to put in time to write it, um, you have to put in the time to sell it. So that means going out and giving speeches, um, doing events, um, just doing book signings, um, getting creative. And even if you go with a big publisher, uh, many of my friends who have written with and for big publishers have said, and increasingly so, that they're quite disappointed in the sales and marketing support. They, they don't do it for you do anymore. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so have you had that experience? Well, that's what I've heard. <laughs> yeah. 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 That regardless if you're self-publishing or you get a traditional publisher that you have to do the legwork. So how many of your clients do you think really do what they need to do to get the, their book into people's hands? Are they, do they think, oh, I'm too busy to go give talks or um, yeah, yeah. publicize it. What, what do you see is happening? Okay, so our, the clients we've had, we have two parts to our business. So I just need to um, preface with that just a little bit. We have our custom writing for custom clients and they want limited print edition books. Okay, we'll write whatever you want. And then we also have essentially an imprint, which is called the Braun Collection. We will be launching that. And I'm, I'm going to differentiate between those two. The Braun Collection is the branded line of executive biographies and memoirs for a business professional, business student audience, okay? So it's like a For Dummies series type of thing. Mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, so we have those two. So for our custom side of the house, um, they usually, uh, I, your question was, what do they need to do? Or, or do, do you find that people go and do what they need to do? Do they? Yeah, they, do they, they have. They, because they mm -hmm. only want they have a very def definite idea of exactly who they want to read it. For some of them, mm -hmm. it's truly, I mean, I, I think you were a little bit surprised by the 100 or 200 people reading a book, but they want just their colleagues, um, suppliers, vendors, family, friends, what mm -hmm. have you, to know the set of actions that they took um, and transmit some of those values, in particular, often to family members, I have to be honest. But um, so they do what they need to do. They may, we have one client who um, gave away their book, but it suggested a donation. Um, they wrote about their family's uh, history of being Jewish founders of Cleveland, um, where I'm from, Cleveland, Ohio. And so, um, but they asked for a suggested donation for the book from a Jewish museum there. So we have that type of a thing. So they do, they actually do do what they um, want to do and need to do to get their copies out, there, either to sell. In some cases they sell, I'd say about a third of the cases for that custom line. For the Braun collection, which is the branded line, briefly I'll say uh, we are launching it. Um, and so it'll be launched in about 10 days. Um, and so uh, they will, you know, will do a lot of the 
uh, selling of the branded line and a lot of the marketing of that and a lot of the work on that. And I'll be doing that. My team of contractors will be doing that. And then our um, ghostwriting clients who are the, they're the authors, but it's under our imprint. Um, well, I also some. just realized you write speeches. So if somebody yes. needed help in writing their speech for their book, that's something that you could also Yes, uh, many times the books we've done, the speeches, I actually originally got into the book writing because a speech writing client had retired and said, would you ghostwrite a memoir? Um, and so that's how I got into it. But also the book clients often then follow up and say, I need a speech for this, that, or the other thing. So it's fairly fluid and, you know, as you know, uh, people tell their stories in so many formats today. The book is really the best because it just gets everything in there. It's like filing a patent application mm -hmm. for your life. Mm -hmm. <laughs> okay. Yeah, because I was, you know, it's, you have all this experience over so many years, and it's like you've taken the best of it, you've distilled it down, made it really compact, and then you sell it for, I don't know, $17. I mean, it's pretty amazing. Yeah, yeah, no, it's, it's I mean, I really think about it as, it's the patent application, um, of your life, as mm -hmm. engineers do with patents, um, business, they should do this. But I, you did say succinct or concise or short or something like that. Mm -hmm. I do actually think that's really important. And yeah. I would say the other thing that sometimes people get wrong, unfortunately, is we try and try to give feedback to shorten it, shorten it, shorten it. Remember, these stories are interesting to you, but if you've told them too many times and in too many ways, they're not to the audience. So mm -hmm. I do think short is really important. It's, yeah. you want compact. That's yeah. the word you use, compact. compact yeah. It's a great word. Yeah. Thank you. Well, I often like to ask my guests to pick a, a card and riff on it. Okay. Let's check it out. Okay, let's see. Do, do, do. Close my eyes, right? Vulnerability. I'm supposed to riff on vulnerability. Yeah, so what may okay. that mean for, let's say, an author or mm -hmm. a speaker who comes to you and... Yeah, um, I would say that, um, so it's interesting, these are uh, oftentimes, again, not always, but oftentimes business executives who uh, are quite accustomed. I mean, business, you learn as you go through it. Um, the actions and decisions, uh, it's a, almost a competition. And you certainly don't want to seem vulnerable. And in many cases, they don't. And when you get them to reflect and share some of their, um, they're, they're often willing to share their mistakes, but the emotional impact of their mistakes, especially businessmen, they often look at you like, what, emotions, what, what are you talking about? <laughs> um, and I would say that I have found, I'm not a big fan of simplifying how uh, men and women act in business, because I just, I don't honestly quite know enough of the facts, the actual evidence. But what I will say is that I have found, absolutely, that men uh, tell their business stories with action first and then emotion second. I have to bring out the emotion from them in between these actions. They'll tell these actions they took, and women are the, they often will tell it with emotion first. How how they felt as they were going through it. I mean, they tell the actions, but the emotion is the resonance. And then I have to bring it to, so then what did you do? What did, then what did you do? And it's an interesting thing that the emotional lives are different for them. We get to the same place, but the way they tell their story historically has been a little bit different. So vulnerability, I think, uh, is there equally for everybody. The way they have, when I've interviewed them, told their stories, you have to bring it out in different ways. Fascinating. Well, thank you so much for sharing this great topic because it's really kind of mysterious. It's behind the <laughs> scenes. And uh, I think a lot of people 
aren't even necessarily aware that this whole industry exists. Thank you so much for having me. I think yeah. it's great what you do. Before we get going, please share how people can get in touch with you and Braun Inc. Uh, they can go to www.braunink.com and um, they will find ways to get in touch with me there. And in about, on about May 10th of 2019, we will have launched our Braun collection. So our first book in the Braun collection and other properties in the Braun collection. So well, I want to wish you a con big congratulations. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. This was fun. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Women Inspired. And if you have a talk coming up that you are feeling a little bit of dread about, I don't want you to feel that way. Go to my website, lindayugalo.com forward slash speaking confidence, and you can download a guided visualization so you can feel great when you get up to speak. And I hope you join us for the next episode of Women Inspired. Thank you for listening to Women Inspired. The show is recorded live in the studios of Bedford TV in Massachusetts. Music courtesy of Sheik Gamin. If you like this episode, please leave a review or comment. You can subscribe to the podcast in iTunes or watch all the TV episodes of Women Inspired with the show notes and links at www.lindayugalo.com forward slash TV.